Don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. God is love and you're being unloving. You know, we need to love everybody. Is this really what God says and expects of us? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 f.m. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We're continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount here in uh, Matthew chapter 7. You've probably heard the phrase before, don't judge. Don't judge me. You've probably heard something to that effect. And this seems to be at great tension with what we know to be true. We can't go through life without using our judgment. We need that. And yet, We hear Jesus say, don't judge. And we think, well, I I don't want to do that either. What am I supposed to do? Maybe you're listening to this and you've had a bad experience with somebody who's kind of nasty. Maybe you truly care for people and you want to help them go down the right road and you don't want them to go down the wrong road, but you don't want to judge them and be a hypocrite. So you're kind of stuck. You think Jesus said, don't judge. And yet, there's plenty of places in the Bible where it says things are right and wrong, and we're supposed to go the right way. How am I supposed to help people to walk with God if I'm not supposed to judge? Every time I say something, people get angry at me, and they think that I'm judging them, and that's not what I want. Or maybe you're the, on the other side, and you say, I just don't like people condemning me. I don't like them telling me what to do. I, they need to mind their own business. God is love. I don't know where you are in the spectrum, but we need to find out what the truth is from God's perspective, from Christ's perspective. What does he say? What does he want? And we're going to look at that as we go into Matthew chapter 7 in the first verse. Jesus starts by saying, judge not that ye be not judge. And this is the default Bible verse that many people use when they are under conviction of sin. They may not consider themselves Christians, they don't go to church, they don't, you know, make any kind of profession or or walk toward God, but the moment you start to display any kind of right or wrong before them that convicts them, they suddenly remember this verse. But he said, judge not. That seems pretty simple, right? Don't do it. Don't judge. Why? The reason is the second half of this verse, that you be not judged. Does this mean that a Christian then is supposed to be the most tolerant person on earth? 
or that the entire body of Christian believers throughout the whole world are supposed to be the most tolerant people on earth, loving everybody and not saying what's right and wrong? Should civil authorities not judge then? Should the judge not make a verdict on a case? Should the police officers not make a judgment when they get to a crime scene or they see somebody running away, uh, they see some evil thing that's happened? Should they not make a judgment and just kind of stay there and, and hope the best for everybody? Are we barred from forming an opinion about somebody, whether they're good or bad? In other words, we can't think in our mind, well, that person doesn't seem to be very honest. They're not very good. I just had a little bit of trouble. Uh, Just recently, I had to buy a new car. I don't know a whole lot of people around here. And the problem with buying a car is you're putting, you know, a good chunk of money down to get a car. And it's not a brand new car. I'm getting a car that's new to me. You put a chunk of money down to get a car. And then I'm thinking to myself, who can I trust? Who is, who is trustworthy? Who can, I, who can I expect that's actually going to be up to bat for me, getting me uh, a good car, one that I can put my family in? How do I know if they're honest or not? And you go to the car dealership, you talk with them, you kind of get a feel for them. You think to yourself, I don't know, there's, something doesn't feel right about this person. They don't, they don't seem quite right. And then there's other times where you feel at ease. You feel uh, a little bit of comfort as you talk with them, because you're using that judgment skill. Is that wrong? Are we supposed to just believe that everybody is wonderful and everybody is out for our best good and the best interests of everybody involved? I don't think so, but we shouldn't go to the other side either where we're skeptical of everybody, but we do need to use our discernment. We do need to judge. He said, don't judge that you be not judged. So there's got to be something that he means here because He doesn't obviously mean for us to go against common sense. So let's define this word judge here. It is the habit of censoriousness, sharp or unjust criticism. It's where we get from the Greek word is where we get the word critic. That's from the original Greek word. This is really speaking against rash prejudging. You're making a judgment call about someone before you know all the facts, before you know what's going on. People could take that so much farther than is really necessary because they could say, well, you still don't know all the facts. You still don't know all the facts. Well, that's the case with whenever we think about um, a court of law, they don't necessarily have every single bit of information that could be had, but they've got enough information that proves beyond a reasonable doubt what the verdict is. And so we can't be unreasonable about it, but we also can't just jump to conclusions without looking ourselves and trying to figure out and and stopping for a moment and examining. So this definition of judge here is figured out largely by not only its definition as if you would be able to look it up inside of a dictionary, but in its context. It's the same in the English language. Certain words mean different things depending on the context. So we need to know what the context is. So bear with me as we go through this. I think you'll see more and more that there is context here that helps us to understand the way that I've just defined this word to be accurate. So let's move on to the second verse. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. 
It says, for with what judgment and what judgment speaks of the kind or the quality of judgment. It's given it to us then as we look at this that the Lord expects that we're going to judge in some fashion or another, but he says, with what judgment? In other words, with what kind of judgment, what quality of judgment you judge? And notice it's not, you know, uh, covering the vast array of possibilities here, but it's you. You're the judge. With what judgment you judge? It's your action of the will. Now, this action of the will or this choice that's inside of us, it definitely happens inwardly. We've got to make the choice inwardly first. And sometimes that inward choice comes out to our mouth and we speak it. We pronounce the judgment out in front of us. And I'm not talking here about temptations to judge. Thoughts can come into our minds frequently. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that. I'm saying the entrance of the thoughts, what we do with the thoughts that's different. I heard somebody say this, and it's been a great help to me for a long time. We can't stop the devil from throwing his trash on our doorstep, but we don't have to own that trash as our own. So we have thoughts that come into our mind day after day after day, and there's nothing that we can necessarily do to stop those from coming in. But I don't have to own those thoughts as my thoughts. Those can be temptations. I'm not talking about that. Those in and of themselves are not judgments. Those are thoughts of judgment. Judgment is when my choice is now in the matter and I choose to judge. And he says, with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged yourself. So in other words, the same quality of judgment that we choose with our will will be judged by other people. Think about it. When you're kind of hard and, and uh, merciless toward people and you try to speak with them and you, you kind of have a harsh tone in your voice and you, you come down on them like a hammer, what generally is the reaction from people that are in that situation? They generally aren't gentle and everything's hunky-dory. They, it, it, sent, it, it tends to incite a, a response that's much like the one that you gave to them. I know in the Proverbs it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, so here we find that the kind of judgment that we use towards someone else will most likely be used back to us. Well, it says, no, we shall be judged like that. So we have that judgment, that quality of judgment that we would hurl onto somebody else comes back at us by other people. Obviously, that's a direct result of what we've done, but it also, that same quality of judgment will come back to us. If I'm hard and unbending, and I'm not trying to look at all the facts, and I'm not trying to put the best construction on the actions of somebody else, and I just jump to conclusions, we're told that God will treat us the same way. That's pretty sobering. That helps us to think a little bit before we speak, think a little bit before we make a judgment even in our hearts about other people. So with that same quality that you judge, you'll be judged yourself. And then he says, in what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. What measure you meet. Now, meet means like you, you meet it out. You, um, it's like you're passing it out. You're doling it out. So here, 
the quality of our measurement and the quantity is spoken of. We can have an initial judgment in our mind about a person, about a circumstance. We can have that initial judgment there, but then how do we measure it out? Uh, The best way I can bring this to bear as far as like an, an illustration is, think about yourself as a parent. Your child does something that's not right, and you think to yourself, I've, I've got to correct them. They can't keep going on like this. This isn't right. And so we are trying to think to ourselves, here's what they did. That needs to be corrected. How do I measure this correction out in a proportionate manner to what they've done? I don't want to overreact, but I don't want to underreact either. We need to measure the judgment out. So we have a judgment inside of our hearts. We feel a certain way about a person, about a circumstance. And we think that we know what's right and all that. But even then, even if we feel like we know what's right, now we have to be careful how we measure this out. Because with the same measurement we use, that same measurement will be given back to us. Now, when you read the book of Psalms, many times over and over again, the psalmist uh, prays prayers that say something like this. Whatever the wicked were planning to do, do that. Whatever the wicked were planning to do to your people, do that back to them, that it falls on their own heads. One great illustration of that taking place is when Haman in the book of Esther is trying to kill Mordecai so he constructs a giant gallows. And the ironic thing is he's working at this end to try and take care of Mordecai and to kill him because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And in the end, Haman himself gets hung on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. So the thing he planned for the good and the righteous man turned back onto himself, and he then was the brunt of his own judgment. So we see that happening in one place in the Bible. We see the psalmist praying it many times. The severity with which you judge someone else will come back to you in that same kind and amount. But the other side of this is true also. The mercy that you show will come back to you in the same kind and amount. Now, a lot of times people want mercy, but there is a proper way to exercise mercy and then an improper way to exercise mercy. We can't just let everybody get off scot-free when truth is involved. Our heart should be, if there is a way for me to show mercy on this person, I want to do it. But if there is not, and it's going to destroy truth, then I have to stand for what's true, but I can still have a good spirit about it. I can still have compassion, though I may have to deal hard towards somebody who's transgressed. I'm saying that just because we have a mushy-gushy society, and we need to keep this checked and in balance. But think about it. The same severity that I lay on someone else will come back to me. The same mercy that I might lay on somebody else will come back to me. Jesus is showing us that the best measurement for judgment is what we would like if we were in the same place as the person that we are judging. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S. T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782.
Moving on to the third verse here. Jesus says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? A mote is like a speck. But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. This was a favorite proverb of the Jews that ironically condemned them as guilty. So here, they would have used this, something similar to what Jesus had said here. They would have used it themselves and, and, and touted that maybe against other people. And the thing that's ironic here is Jesus is using that towards them, and they don't like it. Because it's true, and it cuts to the heart. So here they do that, and Jesus uses their understanding, their languages, their sayings, their proverbs to help them understand this high spiritual truth. And really, when you think about it, it's not that high of a spiritual truth. It's so bare bones. It's so practical. I think we, we can readily understand that, yeah, this is true. And I'm going to have to answer for the way that I act as it regards all of what I'm hearing here. We need to make sure that we are not blind to our own condition. It is so easy for us to point the finger at everyone else and their faults. There's plenty of faults all around us. I'm not even denying it. But it's so easy to say, well, that person did this and they shouldn't have, or they, they didn't do this and they should have really stepped up and done this, that, and the other. It's easy for us. We could sit down and talk for hours about things. We could talk about it in politics. We can talk about it in our church. We can talk about it in family. We can talk about it in our place of business and society. We can talk about it in so many different ways. We're always so displeased with the way that everyone else is doing things the, the crazy thing is, we've got to be careful because that then puts us in a place where it's like, we perfectly understand and know how to do things. If only we were in that place, we could have done it right. Sometimes that could be true. Maybe we could do a better job than others. But oftentimes, we probably couldn't do that much of a better job than the people we're criticizing. So we need to make sure that we are not blind to our own condition. Jesus said, and why beholdest? Think about this word behold. It's like, looking at something for a long time, having a fixed attention. I could say, hey, look at that. And you, can, you could glance over, look at something and turn back again. But when you say the word behold, it's like, stop a minute. Look at this and look at it intently. Look at it in detail. Ponder this. This is the kind of idea behind this word, behold. He said, why beholdest thou the mote that's in someone else's eye? Some people think, that they have this special gift sent from heaven to be the beholder of people's faults, to be the great discerner of people's errors, and to be endowed with the special gift uh, to right the wrongs in people's lives and really set them straight and get them in the right place because, you know, they're just, they're not in the right place. And I, I know what place they need to be in. So they think they're specially gifted of God to do this. I'm not saying that God doesn't give discernment to us at sometimes, but if God is truly giving you a gift of discernment concerning people, Oswald Chambers said, don't use it to criticize people and talk about other people behind their back. Use it to go to God in secret in the place of prayer. God's giving you discernment so that you can intercede or pray for that person so that they can get help from God. And we don't need to blab our mouths to other people about it. Keep it to ourselves. And so we don't want to be critical or judgmental. If God does really give us discernment, it's so that we can pray. Otherwise, we should keep our mouths closed and be very careful. He said, why beholdest thou the mote, the speck or the splinter in someone else's eye, in, their, in your brother's eye? You know, you think you can help your, your blind brother see again. You're like, oh, poor guy. He doesn't see it. 
He he doesn't see that he's really just blowing it here. He's messed up. He doesn't see that he's in error. I just got to go help him, man. You know, if he if he doesn't get shaped up here, he's he's just not going to be the super Christian that, you know, like me. And we wouldn't say that. People wouldn't say that, but that's ultimately what's going on inside of the heart. You think that you can help your blind brother see see again. So God thinks, however, that that speck that's in your brother's eye is way worse or excuse me, God thinks that that speck that's in your brother's eye is less worse than the beam that's in your own eye. That giant log in your eye is the real problem, and you can't see straight. So he said, why behold that speck in your brother's eye? And then he said at the end here, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. This helps us to realize that we should be in touch with our own faults, not morbidly introspective, checking our pulse and trying to figure things out all the time. But we need to be considering our own faults. We should be prepared to consider that our problems are worse than what we think the other person's problem is. I'd like to just give you this quote from Adam Clark. It's excellent. He said, when we shall have as much zeal to correct ourselves as we have inclination to reprove and correct others, we shall know our own defects better than now we know those of our neighbor. So if we, were, if we had just as much zeal and desire to correct other people, that same zeal, if we took that and we're judging ourselves, he said, then we would know our defects a whole lot better and we wouldn't be so concerned about the defects of our neighbor because we'd realize I've got some work to do in my own life and heart and God help us right there. But then he says in verse four, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the motor, the speck out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Literally think about this. I've said this to my children before. Think of this scenario. What if you had some dirt in your eye, a speck of dirt in your eye, and I wanted to help you with this speck of dirt, but I had a telephone pole sticking out of my eye. I've, I've asked them that question, and they sit around and giggle and think it's funny. They said, you couldn't do that. You'd knock us over, Papa. You'd You'd knock a whole lot of things over. You'd break stuff with a telephone pole in your eye. So a child can understand how foolish that is. Now just think about that when Jesus is applying this spiritually. You can't really help somebody when you've got that beam in your eye, when you're not considering that you've got a worse problem than they do or that you possibly do. You end up knocking them over, damaging them, and damaging so much else around you. And I've met people like this. They really think that they're the best the best stuff on earth. They wouldn't say that, but it's secretly there and you can tell. There's a pride and an air about them that that stinks and it's a stink to God in his nostrils, but they feel like they can really help somebody else. The ironic thing is they need so much help themselves and it's awful to see it. I'm not saying, however, that there isn't a time when you could correct someone else. We find that here as we move on. There is a time when that happens. But when you are not in the place to consider your own faults and, and, and at least thinking it's possible that my faults are way worse than the speck that's in my brother or sister's eyes, then you're in no position to correct anybody or to help anybody. So verse five says, Jesus says, thou hypocrite. If you were in any, any doubt as to what Jesus thinks about this, he thinks it's hypocrisy. It's a stench to him. He doesn't like it. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So many souls 
would be spared damage if hypocrites first got right with God before they opened their lips in judgment of others. If they had just stopped and judged themselves first, they would have spared a lot of damage. I've seen a lot of damage where people were starting to make their advances toward God and somebody who is a hypocrite stood in the way. I've had a good portion of my ministry. I pastored two churches before um, coming here into the Wilkesbury area, but a good portion of my ministry, I've had to try and help people that have been burned by hypocrites in the times past, by people who unwisely did things. Um, and I've had to help them and much damage would be spared if we would stop for a moment and consider our own faults. All of this is to say that we are to judge the way we would like to be judged. It's the golden rule. How would I like to be judged if I was in that person's place? How would I like to be approached if I was in error? These are all questions we should ask ourselves before we open our mouths to judge someone else. This is the order that you may be able to rightly judge according to Jesus in this verse. First, judge yourself. Take care of the beam in your own eye. Repent where there is a need to repent. Turn from something that you're doing that's wrong or that's an error that God's trying to correct you over. First, judge yourself. When you yourself realize the sin that you were in and how God helped you to overcome, you can correct another one, another person with compassion and understanding instead of with self-righteousness because then you realize, I was in this deep hole. God spoke to me about this and I've dealt with it and I want to help this person. It's totally different from somebody who hasn't taken care of themselves. When somebody hasn't taken care of themselves, they come hard down on them and they can't get underneath the person. They can't come alongside them and help them get out of the hole because they haven't dealt with it themselves. And so there's always something hard and metallic about the way they deal with people. But somebody who's gone through it themselves, even if they have to speak a hard word, there is a tenderness and a compassion that flows with that. And this, according to Jesus, is how you see clearly to help someone else. Deal with your own beam first. So that goes against and flies in the face of, don't judge, you're judging, doesn't it? Jesus says, don't judge a certain way, which is that rash, harsh judgment, that hypocritical judgment. That is what Jesus is speaking against, but he's not speaking against judgment full stop. He tells us, if you are going to judge rightly and clearly, then take care of the beam in your own eye so you can actually help someone. That is what Jesus means. Okay, Jesus said we could judge then if we, if we do it clearly, we pull the beam out of our eye. But the last verse that we're going to look at today, verse 6, shows us that even if that's so and you've taken care of the things in yourself, there's still something you need to be concerned about and maybe a time you need to keep your mouth closed. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. When we can get clear with God, but there are still circumstances that arise where we should not judge, that happens. This passage encourages us to correct others to those that are in error, but it tells us who to do it to and who not to. It says, don't cast your pearls before swine. What is swine? Those are the people that don't have a real desire toward God and they're bent on evil. We're not to cast our pearls before them, and the pearls are those precious truths of the gospel the gospel doctrine and promises and, and correction. Proverbs 9, 7 through 8 says it this way. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked, wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. So, we are not to judge 
harshly and in the wrong way like Jesus said, but there is a way that you and I can judge. So are you going to altogether stop judging now, full stop? Will you judge yourself first? Will you judge others slowly, clearly, and righteously? Will you use the golden rule to judge others? Do unto others as you would have done unto them. Are you guilty of this judgment that Jesus condemned? Do you need to apologize to God? Do you need to apologize to somebody else? Or maybe have you tried to share the truth of God with those that are like the swine that turn around and trample on you? Does God now instruct you differently? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com and introduce yourself. I want you to set up a time with me so we can meet. I can help you and coach you in your journey with God. I want you to go to our Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube pages for uh, more teaching and preaching content there and connect with others that are on their journey. Tell your friends about those social media accounts and this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK. And above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.